and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. Suns playing the Lakers tonight, Wolf, and one of the guys that's back and, and potentially... Uh, not complicating things in a bad way, but giving Monty Williams, I guess, more options, big picture, as he tries to piece this rotation together, is Landry Shamit, who played his first game since January 16th on Sunday. Had 10 points, shot 3 or 4, uh, all from 3. So it was it was good to see Shamit out there, at least. It was great Sunday. to see him out there, especially if he wants to shoot 75% from behind the arc. That's fine. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no problem. I, I don't remember him shooting 75% from 3 before he got hurt, but it was so long that maybe uh, maybe I misremembered. Uh, Here he is uh, on with Burns and Gambo yesterday talking about the Suns, the importance of winning games, and not just expecting to flip the switch when the playoffs start. Um, me, personally, I mean, I don't... I, I think it's just about winning games. I mean, we, we don't want to wait. Um, it's not... It's a, it's a happy medium. You're not like... We're not staring at the standings every single day trying to make sure we're a certain seed or whatever. It's more about, like, are we building? Are we playing the right way? Are we winning games? And, and we're not waiting, doing the whole, well, well, we'll turn it on when the playoffs are here. No, we want to, you know, start cleaning up some of this stuff now so when playoff time comes, it's seamless and we're right into it, you know. So, um, you know, that's that's my approach. That's, I think, our collective approach. and. Um, you know, kind of how we're we're approaching business right now. Yeah, that should be the way too that you'd like to see them approaching this. Are are, are they playing the right way? Are they building? It's the process. It's the process that they've got to focus on and work on. And that, to me, is something that um, is correct in regard to what he's saying. But doing it and watching yourself slip down the Western Conference standings at the same time, that's the problem. That's where it becomes bothersome. Yeah. When you got 11 games left counting tonight. And now, again, they still haven't dropped out of fourth, but it's, it's all bunched up behind them. Like, you, you don't start winning soon. You're not going to drop from fourth to fifth. You're going to drop from fourth to seventh if you're not careful. So, uh, look, there's a way where you can lose games and still be getting better for the playoffs, but you can't lose too many games doing that. And one of those ways is getting Landry Shamit back, which they did. Yes, and, you know, once again, it's, it's about the sense of urgency, the desperation. And right now, to your point, they're sitting there. They're, they're still number four. So I understand what Landry is saying. Let's go ahead and focus on us and, yep. and how we're playing. And are we actually playing well? Are we going out there? Are, are we starting to be more consistent? They're, they're not worried about the seed base earnings, according to Landry Shamit, of course. It's the how. How are you playing? How are we going about our business? Are we building towards something? And that's great right now, but there is going to come a time. And I believe we're very, very close to that time where you just might want to let that desperation trickle because you might need it. Yeah, and we're going to see, I would assume, that desperation from their opponent tonight and the Lakers who, again, are on the outside looking in somehow still with the play-in, but you know they win two or three games in a row and they're right in there. Um, we talked about how good Anthony Davis has been. D'Angelo Russell's been good. Austin Reeves has been good. So the Lakers, the Lakers have been better. But the thing is, it's not like they're an unwinnable game. You know what I mean? And so, again, to go back to what Sham had said, if the Suns just start winning games now, it's not like they have a bunch of ground to make up. That's why when I keep saying they're still in fourth, it's like 
that's not to minimize the sense of urgency. It's just, it's not like they have to make up a, but if they just start winning, they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> they start winning, they're well, fine. But it's, I mean, that's not the same for the Lakers. They need to start winning and getting help, too. Yeah, they just need to start winning, period. And that's why I think we're going to see a highly desperate Lakers team tonight. This is going to be, this is going to be a playoff atmosphere game. I truly believe that. Because for the Lakers right now, it, it is. It is. And it's home. And the Suns and Lakers is always, I mean, this is still, I, I, I view games against Luka and the Mavericks right now as more of a bitter rivalry right now. Yeah. But, I mean, this is still your all-time rival. It's yes. still the Lakers. Uh, and right now, too, you worry about the matchup. You worry about AD and no DA. Yeah. You worry about that combination right there. Uh, more from Landry Shamit talking about how different the team is now than when he first got hurt. Yeah, no, very different. Um, obviously, no Kevin right now, but, um, you know, just just a little bit different. But, you know, luckily, one of the things we do have here is a, a steady foundation and a, a steady culture that, that carries over. And we, we have guys who, you know, are willing to buy into that and, and understand what that means and what it looks like. So um, a lot of seamless pieces and, and players that we can, you know, put into our lives lineups that, that buy in and, and really, really fit our system and what we do. So, uh, truthfully, I mean, when I was playing, it was, you know, business as usual. Um, didn't feel like there was a lot of, a whole lot of feeling out or feeling like I needed to get to relearn certain guys, but, um, you know, it just kind of was, was back to business as usual. Man, see, that is the problem right there. You know, again, he, he said the C word. He said culture. <laughs> and you know me, you know, culture. Oh, my goodness. That's something that was so profoundly obvious when you watched the Phoenix Suns last season. It was it was so obvious when you watch them. I, I think this entire year, we've all been looking at, okay, where, where is that culture? What is the Phoenix Suns culture? What is it? Trying to identify it. And it has not been easy to identify it this year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and it changed, too. Even it, well, even if it course. didn't get worse or better, but it, it, it changed mid-season when you make a trade that big. Because, yes. Because as you're talking, I'm thinking, like, Landry Shamit is actually one of the guys that was here last year that experienced that, and there aren't very many of those guys left. Good point, yes. But, you know, once again, the leadership is here. Yeah. The leadership is still here, and yet culture it was just so profound last year, and I don't want to go over it all. We've talked about it so many times about how important it was for this team last year in winning 64 games, how important that was. And I don't honestly know what the culture of the Phoenix Suns really is this year. That's the annoying part about this is they could in theory, be building it. And I'm sure they still are a little bit off the court right now, but you have to build that culture on the fly mid-season when you make a trade that big. And again, they're not getting to play together. And Landry Shamit, we're going to get into this in a little bit because he he makes the um, the playoff rotation question, he makes it a lot more interesting now when you, when you factor him in. Uh, we'll get back into that later on. Bracket busted. Don't worry, Madness Maniacs. You still have a shot at $500. Just text Bucks to 620-620. We're going to send you a link to fill out your 16-team bracket. That's Bucks to 620-620. It's the Arizona Sport Bracket Bucks presented by Santan Ford and Schwartz Laser Eye Center. All right. The draft is about five weeks away for the Cardinals, and the big mocks are starting to come out now. We'll react to a couple of those next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 
Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Okay, before we get into the draft, there were two things. I sort of alluded to this on the show yesterday, Wolf. Two things I was I was worried were really going to bother me here in, in Valley Sports over the next couple months. Okay? okay, yeah. One of them was I didn't know if ASU was going to give Bobby Hurley an extension. They did. The other thing is um, when are the Cardinals going to exercise that fifth-year option on Isaiah Simmons? Yeah. But I... I before the show was looking through to see how many players from that draft have had their fifth year option exercised yep. and and it's it might only be two it's only like a couple guys so okay. so not not reason to panic quite yet right they have till may 1st i believe to exercise okay. that option I, I saw may 2nd well, but the, maybe it's really midnight matter. of may well it doesn't <laughs> matter yet but but on may 1st it's going to matter <laughs> it's going to matter on may 1st so yes it will i'm going to go ahead and be less I, I think angry we'll have about clarification. that clarification i'm i'm very you know what we'll have clarification before the show ends as to whether or not it's May 1st or it's May 2nd. Well, the uh, you just looked at command and control like, uh, hey, by the way. <laughs> well, you know what, Rick? You got your leg up back there. I mean, you might as well go ahead and do something. <laughs> no, that, that is Rick doing something. <laughs> Rick just goes horizontal. You just got to throw Rick under the bus from time to time. I believe it's I mean. May 1st. That's that's what I have Okay, seen. good. May 1st. All but right, but either way, because I was kind of getting to the point of like, and it is a little bit different with the Cardinals because you have a new coach and a new GM. So like... You, what do you? What, you're not going to see him play before May first, so you either want him or you don't, right? Um, but yeah. it felt better to look and see that most teams haven't done that with their their yeah. draft picks yet from that year. You can go ahead. You can watch tape, of course. What you need to do now is have long conversations with Isaiah Simmons. You, you need to put the two of them together, have long conversations with him, and then watch him, of course, when he gets back into the building and how he goes about his business. So as far as the drafts, uh, mock drafts that are out there now, we kind of talked about Mel Kuyper's yesterday, but we didn't have a chance to really dive into it. We just looked at the simple fact that he does have the Cardinals trading the third pick in his uh, mock draft 3.0 and, uh, and moving down to four. And taking Will Anderson there, which I know is your, I mean, that is your dream scenario, right? That is the best case scenario for the Cardinals. Um, That is it. It's got to be. This is something you actually proffered at first. You were the one who brought That's it true. up. Mel Kuyper owes actually, that to me. Exactly. Yeah, trading down sure he to hadn't number thought of four, it first. picking up a couple of picks. Yeah, a couple of picks. That's what I'm going to say. Get a little greedy. Maybe a second round pick, trade down, and a player. Or maybe a second round pick and, a, oh man, a fourth. Can we get a fourth round pick on that thing too? Could you buy? Maybe. But having said that, yeah, wouldn't that be great? You trade down to number four and still get Will Anderson and other picks. Oh, that's a win. That is such a win win chicken dinner. I thought he had them take getting a second and a third in this trade, although now I don't see it here. But if let's just say that yes. way, you move down one spot. For, if you're the Colts, and as, I was listening to Bickley and Murata driving in, and Vince was like, why would the Colts do this? Like, he's not convinced the Colts are going to do it by any means. Whereas oh, you are okay. very, oh, like, you were throwing, like, you I don't know, like a full dollar around, around yesterday. Yeah. You were willing to bet on it. Yeah. Can um, you imagine they're sitting there thinking they're going to get one of those three quarterbacks that everyone's talking about right now? And it now. gets scooped right before. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Cardinals aren't going to trade that. They're going to take Will Anderson at number three. Do you know how, <laughs> how myopic that is for you to think that way? 
way Indianapolis Colts. Not even Jim Irsay is thinking that way. You never know what Jim Irsay is thinking. But in this scenario, I do. Oh, I do. This, do you really? <laughs> well, then that should be a segment on the show. What is Jim Irsay <laughs> thinking? And it could go any direction at any time. This is the best case scenario. And it doesn't. It's not the. It's not that much for the Colts to move up. Right. Let's just say it is a second and a third and you swap picks. If you're the Colts, would you give up a second and a third to make sure you get your guy? Yeah. And if you're the Cardinals, and this this has been brought up more and more, and I could not agree more. If Will Anderson is your guy, don't trade down to nine just to get a second and a third. Because that second and third, those guys may never play for you. But this scenario, trading down the four where you still get Will Anderson, even if you're just adding a third-round pick, or Ryan Kelly, like we were talking about last week, if you're just adding anything that you might find useful and you still get your guy, that is best-case scenario. You know what I love, too? Daniel Jeremiah, of course, has come out with his 2023 NFL Mock Draft 3.0, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, Now, we were talking about Mel Kuyper, of course, and we're going to continue to talk as the show unfolds about Mel Kuyper. But Mel Kuyper and Daniel Jeremiah, two very respected guys in terms of their NFL knowledge and their scouting knowledge. And these mock drafts, even though I I do not give any credence whatsoever to the mock draft based on our needs, I do not. I think it's interesting to actually see some people that love the game of football and hear what it is that they think. And do you think Daniel Jeremiah might actually talk to some NFL scouts that are out there or NFL executives that is out there. Yes. I sure hope so. Yes. And Mel Kuyper as well. Now, they're not going to sit there and divulge all this critical information to a Daniel Jeremiah. They're not going to do it, or even Mel Kuyper for that matter. They're not. Why would you do that unless you were trying to use them to actually spread misinformation and disinformation? But where I give where I give a guy like Mel Kuyper and even Daniel Jeremiah... You know, I give their mock draft more value than just, you know, somebody who watches a lot of football and and is going to make their mock draft because they like to do it, right? And so they just kind of piece together, hey, this team needs a quarterback, that team needs a linebacker, whatever. Like, that's fun, and there's some value to that. And you and I could sit here and come up with a—I mean, we did it last year, remember? We did did the station mock draft. Yours was awful, uh, as I recall. It was the same draft. Oh, oh, I see. (laughs) Sorry, I just wanted to say that. Pretty sure my pick was— Luke's was was awful. All my picks were spot on. Um, Look, when it's Mel Kuyper, he's doing it based on— Yeah, it's not one team telling him who they're going to draft, but you might hear from three teams, hey, this team's trying to move up. Right. He has that just—he has that information because he lives it every day. So it is interesting when you put these two together, they have the quarterbacks flipped at the top. Okay, so just start with Daniel Jeremiah first. What has he got, Luke? Daniel Jeremiah goes Bryce Young, then C.J. Stroud. So Young to the Panthers, Stroud to the uh, the Texans. Mel Kuyper goes the exact opposite. Okay, you got Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and then who's number three here in Daniel Jeremiah's 3.0? They both have the Cardinals getting Will Anderson. Will Anderson at number three. And then Indy, number four. What does Daniel Jeremiah have? So this is where it gets a little weird, okay? Okay. So I'm going to compare these, which I know doesn't maybe sound the best over the radio unless I do it right. So Mel Kuyper has the Colts trading with the Cardinals to draft Will Levis. 
Okay. Yes. Daniel Jeremiah has the Colts just staying at four and taking Anthony Richardson. Interesting. He doesn't have Will Levis going until nineteen. Okay, there you go. That's oh, that's very interesting. But they have the Indianapolis Colts actually taking a quarterback. Yes. Mel Kuyper has him taking a quarterback, and of course, so does Daniel Jeremiah. But it highlights something. Quarterback. It, highlights something it, highlight? it highlights something very important. If you're going to say Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are the first two guys off the board, let's just, whatever order, it doesn't really matter to the Cardinals. Yes. Okay? You need the Colts to like Anthony Richardson or Will Levis a lot more than the other one. <laughs> they can't like them both, because if they like them both, they have no incentive to trade up. Exactly. They have no incentive to trade up whatsoever. But something tells me they like one of those guys an awful lot. And if they do have that preference, if they do, which I think they do, there's no way in the world you're going to sit there and think Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, those two, boy, you know what, they're they're deadlocked. Because to me, they're really two different types of quarterbacks. That, that, that helps. That, that help. helps yeah. a ton. So for me, the Colts have clarity on one of those two guys, whether it's Will Levis or it's Anthony Richardson. They've got clarity on that, which one they want. Let's hope they want Anthony Richardson badly. (laughs) Because we all know what he did at the Combine. (laughs) It would really help if if one of those two really separated himself from the other one. Like this, This is kind of what the Cardinals draft comes down to right now. Can Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, I don't know how they're going to do it now because everything's pretty much done. The combine's done. I mean, I guess maybe a pro day. You need teams to all flock towards one of them. So the Colts are like, we want Anthony Richardson, let's say. And then they get word that the Raiders want Anthony Richardson. And you need like four or five teams that want Anthony Richardson. Or really, I guess you just no, need two. No, you need, yeah, right. You need one team. If you already like Anthony Richardson and you hear the Raiders like Anthony Richardson, oh, there's the Cardinals at number three. You're not going to sit around and wait for Anthony Richardson at number four while the Raiders move up and just hose you. No, I, I I don't see that happening right now. Once again, these two mocks highlight the incredible position the Arizona Cardinals are in. And the messed up position the Indianapolis Colts are in. Yeah. And because it, I think they have to move up to number three to have their pick of the quarterback they want. It really amplifies the belief that they need you need, if you're the Cardinals, you need the Colts to want one way over the other guy. Yes. You don't want them and you don't want everyone to sit right. there and be like, we're gonna let other teams decide who our quarterback's gonna be for us. But you don't want the Colts sitting there on draft day being like, yeah, we'll take Will Levis or Anthony Richardson because then they're not going to make a trade with you. You want the Colts standing on their chair. Oh, captain, my captain. That's what you want. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, what are the Suns going to look like when Kevin Durant is back? What is that playoff rotation going to look like? Because that starts in just a couple weeks now. That's uh, next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, Suns Lakers tonight. 11 games left, counting that one. And uh, this is Monty Williams yesterday, Wolf. 
to me the biggest issue to get ironed out before the uh, the end of the regular season, other than of course Kevin Durant's health. Here's Monty Williams. At this point on, it's, it's going to be more of a, a concise rotation. A few games left. Trying to lock in on that nine and a half is going to be important, especially with Kevin and DA. We feel like Kevin can fit right in any way we play, and DA knows what we're doing. So right now, I'm going to do my best to shrink the rotation and let the guys who are playing get a rhythm. He's going to have to do it without all the information. Because he doesn't get to play all his players together. Yeah. And, and, and he never has gotten to. Yeah, the rotation, it's going to tighten up right here. Of course, when KD gets back and DA gets back, it's just, you know, yeah. it's right now, what a mess to actually have 10 games left. It's 11, No, it's 11 games. 11 right? counting tonight. Yeah. Yes, 11 games left. And right now, I mean, can you imagine this? You're, you're still trying to find out what your rotation is really going to be. Katie's been here how long? <laughs> and you really don't know Kevin what your Durant. rotation is going to look like, and it's so dicey. It's a it, month and a half, right? And he hasn't played a home game. <sighs> that's right, right? That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's, no, it's, that's good. It's depressing. <laughs> I, just say that again. It's been a month and a half. It's been six weeks. Yeah. And he hasn't played a home game. <laughs> the trade deadline was February 9th, so he got he got traded here February 8th. Oh. Right? It was whenever Matt Ishbia took over. In fact, I think it was six weeks ago today because it was a Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Oh, my goodness. Do I feel like Chevy Chase right now? Google it, my young grunks. Just Google it. That's good. That's good. Um, um, so here we are. This, six weeks. How, yes, I know. It's... You're trying to figure out what your rotation is going to be right now, and you don't have any idea. I think they probably do, I'm sure, as a matter of fact. Uh, um, He does have an idea what his rotation is going to look like. I just don't know how you can actually orchestrate that right now. You can't. So he said nine and a half players. This is Landry Shaman out with Burns and Gambo yesterday. They asked him if his role has changed because, you know, the roster is so different now. No, I mean, my, my job remains the same. Um, what I want to bring to the table is, uh, you know, somebody who's going to guard the ball and be, be solid defensively and knock down open looks. That's what I want to do. Uh, be able to facilitate and create when the opportunity presents itself and, you know, be, be a 3 and D guy for us that, that we need and uh, space the floor, let Book, you know, do his thing and, be a threat there. My job remains the same, and um, you know I, I know that. And coming into getting back to playing, you know, I, it's it's a the confidence boost knowing that you know nothing's changed. And I, I just my job is to go be me and try to do that at the highest level. So I'm thinking of Terrence Ross as I'm listening to Landry Shaman right now. Those two guys, you you would imagine right now, they're going to fight for a rotation spot, right? If you're talking about nine and a half guys, those two guys are going to fight for one of those rotation spots. Yeah, I would would think so. And okay, so let's just let's do the math here. Monty's saying nine and a half. Okay, well, you know who your main four are with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre. And so let's set them aside. So you're down to five and a half spots. I'm assuming the end half and a half is him rolling Jock Landale and Bismack Biombo in, into one and a half spots. Okay. In case DA gets into foul trouble, you might need to use two of them, both of them in the game if one of them gets into. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume those two make up the one and a half. Is that fair? 
Um, yeah, I would imagine, yes. So okay. that takes us down to four four spots, okay? Okay. Well, Josh Okogie's getting one of them, because he's uh, probably starting. I'm say Josh Okogie's going to start. But that's, that's, that's one of the four. Yes. Tory Craig, I'm assuming? <sighs> yes. Okay. That leaves two spots. Campaign. For Campaign, Terrence Ross, Landry Shamit, Damian Lee. Oh, man. Oh, um, man. I mean, obviously, TJ Warren and Darius Baisley are not really going to be, a, it doesn't seem yeah. like they're be much of a part of this. You know, you say Damian Lee. Um, your thoughts on Damian Lee? Has right anybody now? seen Damian Lee? He was, he was so productive what? the first half of the season. What? What? Yeah, that is. I, that was one thing you were worried about. As a matter of fact, you saw that as a strength. Uh, about three weeks ago, a month ago, you saw that as a strength. D. Lee's coming off the bench. Hitting threes. Hitting threes. Leading the league in three-point percentage. Yeah. It was, man, that's going to be good right there. And now we're sitting here thinking, oh, you know, Landry Shamit, Terrence Ross over D. Lee? That... <laughs> And we haven't even I mentioned Ish Wainwright See, either. This is this is where everything you would imagine at some point in time would be ironed out and based on audience. You have to remember the fact that it's it's not about taking KD and inserting KD. I think he KD's gonna be fine. Because KD knows exactly who he is. It's everyone else around KD that is gonna have to make some type of little adjustment as to how they're gonna play the game. That's the problem. And now you're, you're not getting that exposure that you need to that process. Does that make sense? And that's I the mean, problem. That's been, yeah, it's 100%. It's been, and unfortunately, it's similar to when Kyler Murray got hurt. And we all looked around and we're like, well, this sucks. And then, like, five minutes later, you're like, how much does this affect their offseason? It's similar with the Kevin Durant thing of like, okay, he goes down, and, and that was most of that night of Suns fans just being like, all right, this is, it's going to only happen to us. But then you take a step back and you think like, how is Monty Williams supposed to put these rotations together yeah. and feel confident? It's not like he can't change it mid-seven-game mid series if he needs to, but you don't really want to have to. And it, just the exercise we just did, by my count, for one spot, you have Landry Shamit, Damian Lee, Terrence Ross, Ish Wainwright, Darius Baisley and TJ Warren are probably not factors, but still, that's four guys that have contributed this year fighting for one consistent playoff rotation spot. What a mess. And I don't know how you really get an answer until Kevin Durant comes back. Here's the other thing, too. Um, How this bench plays is going to be really, really important. Now, once again, when KD comes back, it's not like you're going to take Devin Booker and KD and sit them both down. You're both on the bench. That's From time to time, that may happen. But, you know, one of those guys, you would imagine, is still going to be out there. For the most part, yeah. But that just highlights what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, even more. The lack of exposure of being out there with them. It's not KD I'm worried about. It's everyone else. There's a lot of questions right now. Uh, coming up next, we'll get into baseball. D-backs opening day roster is starting to shape up. Opening day is a week from tomorrow. We'll get the latest on the team as their assistant general manager, Amiel Sade, joins us next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Diamondbacks front office focus with Wolf and Luke. 
All right, we got opening day coming up next week for the D-backs, and their assistant GM, Amiel Sadeh, joins us right now on the Arizona Sports Line. Uh, Amiel, thank you for the time. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, trying to stay uh, warm and uh, dry, but uh, other than that, doing pretty well. Yeah, what's what's going on here with this uh, this <laughs> weather during spring training? It's very unusual. Um the I, I want to start with the World Baseball Classic last night, just because I mean, obviously you're you're a baseball guy. I, did that it felt like that really took off this year, and especially just the way that game ended last night was crazy. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the last really the last couple of nights have been um, great games. The Mexico Japan game was, I mean, that had you at the edge of your seat, and uh, and and last night especially. I mean, I think hopefully a lot of eyes in Arizona were tuned on to see uh, Merrill and. Um, you know, it was, I know that was the game he wanted to pitch and probably not the outcome he, he necessarily wanted, but it was fun to watch him out there and, you know, competing against the best in Japan and, um, the lineup itself was just, I mean, it, it, I can't even imagine how, <laughs> how some of the Japanese pitchers are, are, are thinking as they're, as they're trying to navigate through a star studded lineup, but it was, uh, it was a great event for baseball, and uh, and and I'm you know I'm proud of being a part of uh, Major League Baseball because that that event was um, a lot of people were talking about it. You know, it's amazing, Amiel. It really is um, because you are a scout. You are somebody that evaluates human beings and how they play the game of baseball. Having said that, the the spread of baseball all over the world right now. How much more difficult does that make your job? <laughs> Um, you know, it probably, it's, I, I can imagine it being harder in soccer, right? Where you're really going to every country We're I wish we could go to every country, but I think like it, the, the good thing is, is most of, you know, outside of Latin America, the big leagues in Korea and Japan, you know, even, even to some degree in Mexico, I think like, well, they're 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 not too difficult to scout necessarily. We get we get a lot of eyes on on um, players in those leagues, and you know, especially in the MPB in Korea, we also get data on those players too. So, um, it's it's more challenging logistically. I couldn't imagine how what it would be like if amateurs were available internationally. So, if it was a worldwide draft and you had to go scout high school players in in Koshien, um, but. You know, just from pro leagues, you know, the, the, our guys do a great job of getting eyes on on players and spending time in the Far East, and you see the type of talent that's over there, and um, it's pretty impressive. Talking to Amiel Sade, uh, D-backs assistant GM. Amiel, we, we got to talk to Mike Hazen about this uh, a little bit last week with the, the Corbin Carroll signing. But just in general, I mean, that's that's a guy who's tearing the cover off the ball in spring training. Uh, we all know his upside is 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 through the roof. We maybe don't even know what the ceiling quite is yet. But he'd only played in 32 major league games. Is that something, maybe not those exact numbers, but with the young talent you have that you guys are comfortable doing again in the future with another player if you need to? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you have to you evaluate each player and each contract differently. Um, you know, I think we're fortunate that uh, we have support of, of ownership and Derek and Ken behind us to to make these decisions. And you know, I think Mike um, obviously um, when we when we started this conversation uh, probably about three months ago, um, you know, we we realized that Corbin was Corbin was the right guy to kind of lead this off, and we have some. 
we have some other young, exciting players that are either in the pipeline or on the major league team. And hopefully they'll, you know, some of that will follow. And I think that it also sends a message organizationally to um, not only to the young players, but to, to players that are here that, that um, we might want to keep when they get to free agency that, you know, we are committed to trying to build around certain players. And um, I think it's exciting and it should be an exciting time for Dimeback fans. What can you tell us, Amiel, about Carson Kelly and his condition right now? And how do you feel about Gabriel Moreno, of course? Yeah, really unfortunate. Carson was having a great spring and was in a great spot. Um, Obviously, got hit with that ball, fractured his ulna. Um, It's a it's a. It's a pretty sizable fracture and, um, you know, probably down six to eight weeks, something like that. Um, and it just depends on how he heals, too. But, yeah, it's uh, um, I, I think physically he's not, you know, he's probably not in a great spot right now. And mentally, I think, obviously, emotionally, it's probably a, it's a real bummer for him, um, especially, at, you know, the way he was playing in spring training. But, Carson's pretty resilient. He'll bounce back. He's great to have around. Um, even when he's hurt, he'll he'll pop in and out of chase. And um, and I know I know it's probably wearing on him, but he's gonna he's gonna impact our team this year at some point when he comes back. And then you know, fortunately with Moreno, you know we've seen we've seen him in spring training, and he's ready to catch at the big league level. And so um, we're we're lucky to have a catcher of his caliber behind him. You know, he's a young catcher, and there's going to be some growing pains along the way, but super athletic, um, contact-oriented bat, has some strength, um, you know, is still learning our pitching staff, and that's where I think Carson would have really helped too, but um, it is what it is. It'll probably be a little bit more of a crash course for him, but um, he's a guy that, um, you know, has really impressed us in, in camp this year. Talking to Amiel Sade, uh, Amiel, there's so much was made of Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll and Jake McCarthy, and those guys have all played now. We've seen uh, at least a sample of what they can do at the major league level. Uh, and Drew Jones in the outfield too. I mean, he isn't there yet, but uh, having you know, he's only 19 years old. But the next guy really up on the prospect list of of hitters that we haven't got to see yet is Jordan Lawler. And I know you guys, you know, he's not ready yet. But are there specific things you're looking for this season to see if he could make the jump later in the year? Yeah, I think, you know, probably if you watch some of our spring training games, it's, a lot of it's consistency. Um, Jordan Jordan will be the first one to tell you a lot of that is, is the consistency on defense. Um, I think Tori put it put it great. He, he referenced this as um, taking making a free throw, and when you get to the free throw line, just always doing the same thing over and over. You bounce it twice, you spin it, you throw it. Um, you know, I think Jordan gets a little inconsistent with, you know, his glove placement, his his footwork, and, and sometimes you see some of those balls sail on him or, or you know, maybe um, you go to right to, to the right or left of the bag. Um, so there's a, there's a defensive component to it that I think is really important. And, you know, when you get up to the big leagues, the speed of the game is different than an A ball and double A. So he's going to get a lot of those reps in the minor leagues, and that'll that'll really help him. And I think, you know, as, as he continues to get stronger, and, and you know, get more at bats under his belt. He's, I think his his bat is pretty close to major league ready, but it's always going to help him to, to see more pitching at the triple A level, double and triple A level, where it's more advanced and they're they're able to execute a little bit better than they would in a ball. Defensively, do you expect this team to be a plus, Amiel? I do. I think this might be one of our best defensive teams. Um, it, you know, we, we haven't gotten to see it a lot. 
the full the full lineup out there in spring training because of the WBC in different areas. But, like, you know, we see how good Alec is in center. And then you put Jake and Corbin around him, and I, I don't know how balls are going to drop. I really don't. <laughs> and then having getting a med back and a med and Perdomo back there. And, look, I mean, I think one of the biggest revelations I've seen in spring training this year is Cattell. And Cattell looks like the 2018 version of infield Cattell. I mean, he made a play yesterday where he – where he was shaded over um, more on the second, closer to second base, and he went to his left and um, did a pop-up slide, slid and turned around and threw the ball to uh, to Nick. And you know those were those were the days in eighteen when he was a Gold Glove caliber defender, and he looks better. He's he's moving really well. So I think we're going to get a really good version of Cattell at second base this year too. Um, yeah, as far as the rotation, I mean, it, it seems like, at least on paper, those those top four spots are probably pretty set. Do you envision that fifth spot, because you have so many young guys competing for it, that that is going to be set, or is that maybe something that we're going to see rotate for a while, at least at the start of the year? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, I think the the the... the the thing we have going for us is we have multiple options that we feel like we could, could take that fifth spot and run with it. But, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say depending on, you know, what the, what the matchups look like, depending on how somebody's performing. Um, I think, you know, we're going to, we have, we'll have a lot of really tough decisions, but good decisions to make. And, um, you know, we're fortunate to have guys like Dre and Tommy and and Nelly and and Fott and those guys are all uh, major league ready or close to major league ready. And I think that's um, you know we'll see what happens mid to end of April. You know, I, I don't know where we're going to be, but there there might be somebody else pitching that that wasn't there on April 1st. So, Amiel, have you seen a lot of guys who weigh 160, 165 pounds generate the kind of velocity that Dre does? Pedro Martinez. <laughs> Not comparing him to Pedro Martinez, right, right. but Pedro Martinez did. You just don't see a lot of guys um, doing that, though. <laughs> yeah, it's you know what it is, and Pedro was like this, too. It, they were so athletic, and they're so twitchy, and they're so loose, and... Um, and they're just they're they're just built differently. Lincecum's the same way. I mean, Lincecum was a, was a ridiculous athlete, mm-hmm. and these guys that um, Dre Dre has a lightning fast arm, and he's one of the best athletes, if not the best athlete in our camp. And um, that's a lot of it. How he generates his his velocity. Well, Amiel, we appreciate the time. Opening day is just over a week away, so thanks so much and good luck. All right. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Amiel. That's uh, Amiel Sade, D-backs assistant GM, joining us there on the Arizona Sports Line. When we come back, all of today's top sports stories in one place, Wolf and Down Your Lunches. Next, it's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.